0: Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled "The Ultimate Reversal of Fortune." And it's a very familiar story. It comes from Luke chapter 18, verses nine to 14. This is the story. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Perhaps a very familiar story to many of you. I mean, the story is about two men who were about as different as they could be. I mean, one man had everything and appeared to be on his way to heaven, but he never made it. The other man appeared to have nothing to recommend himself to God, but he ended up saved. The man who looks so good ends up looking bad, and the man who looks so bad ends up looking good. Now, how can that possibly be? You know, I'm not sure that we'll ever fully understand the answer to that question until we understand why Jesus told this story in the first place. Recall again, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So here is the key to the passage, not in the story, but in the audience. Jesus was speaking to people who were confident in their own righteousness. Now, what kind of people are like that? Well, generally, they have two primary qualifications. One, because of their religiosity, they somehow think that they're better than everyone else. And second, because they think they're better than everybody else, they kind of look down their noses at everybody else. Now, evidently, that was a major problem in Jesus' day, (laughs) and let's be honest, it's certainly a major problem in our day. That kind of leads me to kind of a, I guess I call it parenthetical comment, Uh, please do not think this story is for someone else. It's not. This story, this sermon is for you, it's for me. In fact, the more religious you are, or maybe I should say the more religious you think you are, maybe the more you need to think about this parable. So Jesus tells this short story about two men who went to the temple and prayed. Now, one was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. It doesn't take a genius to figure this story out. The Pharisee in this story is supposed to be the good guy. The tax collector is the bad guy. Now, when you read the first part of the story, you're kind of supposed to cheer the Pharisee because he's the one you're supposed to want to be like. When you read the story about the tax collector, you're supposed to kind of I don't know hiss and boo because you, you know he's a bum. I mean, the amazing thing about this story is that Jesus starts with a good guy and a bad guy, and by the time we get to the end of the story, the good guy has become the bad guy, and the bad guy has become the good guy. Now, I want to make two comments about this story. First of all, the good man in this story is generally a good man. He's a Pharisee. Now, today, I mean, the word Pharisee is kind of a dirty word. If somebody called you a Pharisee, you'd probably be offended. It's an insult to our way of thinking, but you know, in the days of Jesus, a Pharisee was not an insult. In fact, to be a Pharisee was to be in the highest rank of religious people. I mean, historians tell us that there were never really very many Pharisees, maybe a few thousand or so. There come a small group of men. Uh, they were widely admired for their sincere devotion to the law of God. And that's why when you read this story and it says the Pharisee went to pray, you're not supposed to think, "Ugh, a Pharisee. You're supposed to say, all right. A Pharisee. See, when you read about the tax collector, you're kind of supposed to hiss and boo because they were men who got rich by ripping off their own people. They worked for the Romans. They cheated and were considered spiritually unclean because they hung out with Romans. Now, when you read the story about the Pharisee, a number of specific statements are made about his piety. And I want you to note this. Everything he says about himself is true. I mean, for example, when he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, he was not like other men he was kind of a standard of morality that was far above the standard of that day i mean when he said i fast twice a week it's literally true i mean the pharisees fasted on monday and thursday of every week and when he said i give tithes of all i possess he means he tithes on the gross and not on the net he went beyond the law of moses and that's no big deal all the pharisees did that And when he said, I'm not a crook, he's really not a crook. And when he says, I am not this filthy tax collector, he's really not like that tax collector. And when he says, I do not commit adultery, he really does not commit adultery. He's faithful to his wife. And when he says, I'm honest, I'm faithful, I'm zealous for my religion, he means it. And every word of it's true. He's truly a genuinely good man. You know, when I read his prayer, I'm reminded of that country song that says, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you are perfect in every way. You know, what we are to understand is this. When he prayed, he was telling the truth. When he said, Lord, you're lucky to have a guy like me because I'm one of the best guys around that I know. It was true. He was truly a wonderful guy. While he prayed, people would be standing around watching because oftentimes they stood on street corners and prayed. And they'd say, oh man, what a fine guy. And and when he prayed, while he prayed, they probably actually clapped. Uh, He was the kind of guy you'd want living next door to you. He's a good law abiding citizen uh, a religious kind of person and if he were to come to your church today you'd probably love to have him because he'd be faithful he'd be loyal and he would bring lots of cash we would probably make him an elder (laughs) he's just that kind of guy he looks really good on the outside everything he says about himself is absolutely true this is why the story is so shocking Everything he says about himself is true, yet Jesus said this man who looked so good on the outside was lost. The man who looked like we think we'd like to look like, he didn't make it. Although he was a good man, Jesus in effect said, this guy's doomed to hell. Well, my second comment on this story is that if the Pharisee is genuinely good, the tax collector is genuinely bad. When it says he was a tax collector, you ought to kind of read between the lines words like dirty, rotten, scoundrel. I mean, that's what it means. Uh, He he was no good. He'd rob you blind. I mean, give a little money to the Romans, keep the rest for yourself. And I bet there was not anyone in Israel who was more hated, maybe the Romans, but this tax collector was probably really hated. Probably nobody had done more people wrong than this guy. And when I say he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel, I'm not saying any more than he said in this prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, there's something in the original text you ought to know. The Greek reads this way. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's as if he were saying, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of all sinners. I'm about as bad as bad can be. And when he said, God be merciful to me, the sinner, we're kind of to understand that the people who heard him pray say, amen, that's right, brother, preacher, brother, you're the worst of all possible sinners. Now, here's the paradox. A man as good as you can be on a moral basis, a man as bad as you can be in terms of the morality of this world. And the shock of this story is that the good man ends up lost and the bad man ends up saved. This is the ultimate reversal of fortunes. Now, we ought to ask this question. Why was the bad man saved? Well, the bad man was saved because of what he said when he prayed. He prayed, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, a sinner. I mean, God, he prayed to the right person. Be merciful, he made the right request. To me, the sinner, he made the right confession. I I mean, it's only seven words in English. In fact, somewhere I read that uh, it has been called the Holy Telegram from a sinner to the Lord, shortened to the point. He certainly does not add any adjectives like penitent, though he probably felt sorry for what he'd done. He didn't use the word reformed, although his life would never be the same. He didn't add honest, though he was probably more honest than the Pharisee. He is clinging to nothing but the naked mercy of God. And if that cannot save him, He says he has no hope. But notice his request, God be merciful to me. Now this phrase goes back to Old Testament times when on the day of atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and would sprinkle the blood of a goat on the mercy seat. That's the golden lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And by sprinkling that blood, the high priest demonstrated that God's way of forgiveness always involves a blood sacrifice. The tax collector was kind of saying, God... Be to me as you are when you look down and see the blood shed on the mercy seat. He was praying, "Oh God, be merciful to me, not on the basis of what I've done, but on the basis of the blood shed by the substitute. Now, what does the blood on the mercy seat point to in the New Testament? Well, it points to Jesus, who died on the cross, who shed his blood so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. And by virtue of the blood of the Lord Jesus, you and I can have our sins forgiven. And that's what the bad man was praying for. So looking back from our perspective, he was, he was praying something like this. Oh, God, be merciful to me on the basis of the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive me, uh, not because of what I have done, not because I deserve it, but by virtue of the sprinkled blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus gives us this shocking end of the story in verse 14. He said, I tell you that this man, that tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. So this man, this bad man, this sinful man, this scoundrel, this thief, this sinful tax collector went home justified. But what about the other guy, the good guy, the Pharisee, the moral guy, the law-abiding man? He went home still in his sin did you get that the bad man went home justified he went home forgiven he went home with his sins washed away he went home in the possession of eternal life and the pharisee went back to his nice house lost Now, why is that because when this man prayed all he did was boast about his goodness before god do you remember what the text said it said, two men went up to the temple. The Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself. Did you catch that? He prayed to himself. I mean, when the Pharisee prayed, he was informing God about how good he was. It was kind of, don't you know, spiritual self-congratulation. God, I'm such a wonderful man. You're lucky to have a guy like me. I mean, this guy's praying that way. He went home lost and deceived. <clears throat> and the tax collector went home justified. On the basis of the mercy of God expressed in the bloody sacrificial death of Jesus. Now I want you to notice one other point. This is immediate salvation. We back up to Easter a few weeks. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, you will be with me in paradise. This tax collector prays, and he is saved. Boom, just like that. Now some of you might say, "No, come on, it's not that easy." And I say, yes, it is. Now, you might say, well, I think you have to do something to be saved. Yeah, friends, this guy didn't do anything. Well, you certainly got to promise something. Well, this guy didn't promise anything. Well, don't you have to cut a deal with Jesus or something? Well, this guy didn't make a deal. He he didn't have a deal to make. He had nothing to offer. He he couldn't promise anything. He didn't do anything. He just cried out for the mercy of God. and The mercy of God was given to him. He didn't deserve it yet it was given to him. See, the Pharisee thought he deserved it and therefore missed it. The tax collector knew he didn't deserve it because he knew he did not deserve it, therefore he received it. I tell you, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? The mercy of God comes to people who seem to deserve it the least. The mercy of God misses people who think they deserve it the most. But we ought to ask ourselves this question. Why is this story in the Bible? Well, I think Jesus intends to teach us several crucial truths. Here's truth number one. This story teaches us about the tremendous danger of religious self-deception. The Pharisee went through all the religious motions, and the motions were good. I mean, not a thing he claimed was untrue, and all the things he was doing were really good things. But because it was all outward, he walked away deceived and unjustified. Let me tell you, religion, even good religion, leads you to hell instead of heaven if it's not accompanied by a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, why? Well, number one, it makes you focus on the external. Two, it makes you feel spiritually superior. Three, it makes you look down at your nose at other people. And Four, it, it draws you away from a total dependence upon God. See, religion, even good religion without Jesus, will send you to hell. Now, you know why, what's so dangerous about that? Without a life changing encounter with Jesus, religion leads you to hell while making you think that you're walking on the road to heaven. Here's truth number two the worst sinners often make the best candidates for salvation. Now, why is that? It's because they know they need to be saved. The tax collector knew he didn't have a chance. The tax collector, the Pharisee, thought he was doing God a favor by showing up and praying. See, the worst sinners. Often make the best candidates for salvation. I mean, if I were standing in front of a congregation today, and you know there are quite a number of people listening to this message today, I, I might be prone to ask, "Are anybody here been sleeping around?" And you have been saved today? Anybody been using drugs this last week? I mean, you could be saved today. Anybody here who ever <laughs> killed a person with their own hands? I mean, you could be saved. Anyone? You're far away from God and you feel like you don't belong in a a church. I, I don't know what your excuse would be, what your sin would be. I mean, we all sin. We all sin each and every day by thought, word, and deed. But good news, friends. I've got great news for you. The worst sinners often make the best candidates for salvation. And if you fit into the general category of sinner today, I encourage you, I beg you, I bid you to run to the cross of Jesus and embrace the cross of Jesus as your only hope for salvation. See, the worst sinners can be saved. Here's truth number three. Your only hope of going to heaven is to do what this so-called bad man did. Cry out to God for his mercy on the basis of the blood of Jesus, the Messiah. That is as plain as I can say it. That is a prayer God delights to answer. Let me tell you an old story. St. Peter is manning the entrance desk by the pearly gates. Up comes a really nice-looking guy, all dressed up, and when he rings the bell, St. Peter says, Can I help you? The man says, Yeah, I'd like to have entrance into heaven. Peter said, Excellent. We're certainly glad to have you. We always want more people in heaven. Then Peter says, well, in, but in order to enter into heaven, you have to earn a thousand points. The man said, no problem. I've been an exceptionally good man in my life. I have been very involved in civic things. I've always given a lot of money to charitable causes. Uh, for 25 years, I was the chairman of the of United Way Fund Drive. And, and Peter wrote it all down. He said, that's really great. That's one point. Well, kind of taken aback, the man said, you know, I was married to my wife for, for 45 years. I was always faithful. We had five kids, three boys, two girls. I always loved them, spent a lot of time with them, made sure they got good education. I always took care of them, and they turned out so well. I'm really a great family, man. And Peter said, man, I'm really impressed. We don't get too many people up here like you. That's another point. Well, now the guy's starting to sweat. And he actually starts shaking. He said, you don't understand. I was active in my church. I went every Sunday. I gave money every time they passed the plate. I, I was a, I was a deacon. I was an elder. Uh, I, I taught Sunday school for 20 years. And Peter says, you know, that record is certainly admirable. That's another point. And then he adds, well, let me add this up. Well, that was one. That's two. That's three. Only 997 to go. Well, trembling and shaking, the man fell to his knees and in desperation he cried out, but for the grace of God, nobody could get in here. And Peter looked at him and smiled and said, congratulations, you just reached a thousand points. Do you want to go to heaven? (laughs) You have got to get there by the grace of God or you won't get there at all salvation begins when a person understands that he cannot save himself. The door to heaven has a sign over the top and the sign says for sinners only. And if you qualify, come on in. Friends, Jesus died for sinners and for no one else. I mean, that is why the Pharisee was lost, although he was good, and the tax collector was saved, although he was bad. One man held on to his good works while the other clung to the mercy of God. But there is no place in heaven for good sinners. As long as you cling to a shred of goodness, you cannot be saved. But if you are willing to call yourself what you are, uh, a sinner, you can be saved. And you can be saved right now. I mean, it's such a simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you would just say that prayer and understand it in its fullest meaning, you can make sure of heaven right now. And what is the full meaning? God, be merciful to me on the basis of what Jesus, the Messiah, did on the cross. I mean, if you would say that and pray it and mean it, you could be sure of heaven right now. I'm going to end up by just sharing a simple prayer. Just remember that prayer alone cannot save or help to save, but maybe these words will help you trust in Jesus with all your heart. And you might want to listen to this again and say them out loud or listen to the message again. But this is my closing prayer. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. And I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray that you come into my heart and save me now. And I ask for a brand new life. And I ask you to forgive me all of my sins. And here and now, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. God bless.